Well, hi, everybody. Welcome into Unanchored Boston once again with Bob Lobel. I'm Mike Lynch, and we remind you that our show is brought to you by Cold Springs RV, your destination for all things camping and where? We're in New Hampshire, of course, and the great George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. Speaking of great, we've got a great guest today, Patrick Sullivan and Bob Lobel. You have the honors of doing the introduction, so take it away. Well, I'm just happy to have a chance to, uh, Pat, when we asked him if he'd come on, he said absolutely, but I thought he was trying to stay away from sportscasters after. Uh, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the sportscasters, it was the sports writers. <laughs> the sportscasters were pretty good guys. <laughs> How would you describe your uh, tenure uh, and your relationship with the media when you were the general manager? Uh, of the New England Patriots? I would describe my relationship with the media as being uh, remarkably good. I, I felt, um, you know, I felt uh, I, basically, you know, 99% of the folks that covered the team, covered the team uh, fairly and equitably and, and, uh, and with good judgment, you know. Um, and then, you know, there's 1% that, you know, made it uncomfortable, you know, and and uh, nobody that present here, right? Not, I mean, I'm just trying to say what we have to apologize for. No, you don't need to apologize for anything. You know, you're just, you're just, uh, Lobel was kind of a wise guy. Mike Lynch was straightforward, boom, you know, no nonsense, you know, just get it done. And, uh, but Bob Lobel always wanted to throw in a little wisecrack whenever he could. You know? <laughs> Nothing's changed, Pat. Nothing's changed even on this show. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, you know what? You guys were made it so easy. <laughs> are you wearing Are you wearing shorts right now? Because I know you did a lot of your broadcast. I am actually. As a matter of fact, that was kind of a personal question, but the answer is yes, I am. Yes. Guilty. <laughs> he's, he's, probably both have done sportscasts in shorts, anything other than in a suit. You know, as you've gone on to great success with your uh, Game Creek uh, satellite trucks and everything, and, uh, but as you take a look at the league now, and it's certainly a lot different than it was 20, 20, 30 years ago when uh, you guys were so deeply involved. Are, are you surprised at all as, as the way the league has developed and become the sport in America and – the go-to place for uh, excitement and and the way it's all developed. Are you at all surprised? I'm not surprised about the way the game has developed uh, and the interest in the sport has developed. I'm not I'm not surprised about that at all. Uh, you know, what's amazing to me is uh, the incredible. <laughs> <laughs> they had him say hi to our grandson Aiden. This guy Garrett's Good one. Good one. Lobster. That's a lobster. <laughs> so he made the, uh, the shower. <laughs> what I am surprised about is uh, the incredible increase in. Um, hold on, guys. You got? You, will you go see your dad? Yeah. Thank you, pal. <laughs> <laughs> so what I am surprised about is the incredible increase in uh, the value of the television deals. You know, that is, uh, 
<clears throat> that is really staggering. And when we um, when we uh, sold the Patriots in 1988, the um, uh, the uh, the television money was $24 million, right? Uh, per team per year. Um, Amazon, which is now a client of ours to do Thursday night football is paying 88 million a game for that. So that kind of valuation. And then, then you have the Sunday ticket packages, the regular network packages and everything else. And, you know, you're now you're up around 180, $190 million per team before they open the gates. So that's the thing that surprised me about the business. Yeah, that that can, uh, can soothe an awful lot of headaches, can it? Yeah. I mean, well, what it does is it pays the players, <laughs> yeah. you know? And if you actually drew a graph going back really into 1960, when the, when the, uh, uh, when the, when the uh, AFL started, you could, you could actually draw two graphs, one television rights, another one player payroll. Right. And they would all they would really just match each other all through the years. And um, uh, and and and, you know, that's if if you can if you can pay the players, it does resolve a lot of headaches, because one of the biggest headaches that we ever had was uh, strikes. You know, player strikes were just so destructive, you know, um, and we had you know, we had several of them uh, in the years leading up to my dad selling the team. And it was it was it was it was disruptive in so many ways. It just uh, um, and interestingly enough, you know, Robert Kraft um, could have bought the team in 1988, and he passed because there was still labor unrest. And he, you know, he paid almost 90 million dollars more for it, like three years later. And when I asked him, he said, you know. My advisors told me, don't do anything until there's labor peace. Now there's labor peace and everybody made out. Right? <laughs> you know, you don't hear like the, the famous holdouts were always Hannah and Gray. But you don't hear holdouts anymore. Nobody holds out, right? No, because, you know, there's a salary cap and there's, sal you know, there's, there's, there's salary. Uh, um, there's, there's a salary structure for rookies. And, you know, that was always a sore point with a veteran, particularly John Hanna. You know, if, if you paid a guy like Trevor Maddich more money than John was making, that didn't make John feel very good. And 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 now that stuff is all structured and everybody everybody knows what they make. And, you know, you occasionally I mean, you had you had the uh, Lamar Jackson thing this year, um, but he didn't hold out. You know, he eventually came to a deal. Right. About the popularity of the sport, I mean, are you surprised at all that the dominance that the, uh, the NFL has achieved? Because it's now America's pastime. Baseball can say what it wants, but the way the sport has developed and how uh, adaptable it is to television, I mean, that's where the partnership has really bloomed. The, everybody's profited by this. Uh, if it wasn't worth for the television station networks, they wouldn't be paying the money. They weren't able to sell the spots. They wouldn't be paying the money. I mean, no, that's true. That's absolutely true. I mean, as I said before, you know, you track player co uh, contract or player salaries to, to uh, TV compensation. And, uh, you know, answer your question, Bob, you know, I know he's not a really popular guy in this region, but Roger Goodell is a really smart guy. He's a very smart man. And he's a great strategist and he really knows what he's doing. And he actually really likes the game. 
you know, and uh, and he has the confidence of his of his ownership group, and uh, you know he's he's uh, he's really taken. I mean, Pete Rozelle was probably one of the great PR geniuses of all time, and um, and uh, uh, and 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 Roger has you know Roger has taken that to another level really. <clears throat> Yeah, let me let me ask you this. Uh, you you probably I was at the very first game against the Broncos, the BU's Nickerson Field. I think you're a year younger than I. So, <coughs> weren't quite sure if we were watching a college game or a pro game, but it was a football game. And you know, I was so glad we didn't have to watch the Giants anymore on, on Sunday afternoon that we, we finally had a team. Um, how tough was it, or how easy was it, what, eventually working for your dad? It was incredibly easy. He was a he, he he was a marvelous father. He was a great grandfather. Uh, he was a great husband to my mother for fifty three years. You know, he was really a great great guy and a real visionary, right? And um, and he never ever criticized me in front of anybody else. If he disagreed with something I did. Uh, he'd sit down and it, his, his question to me would be, I'm really curious what made you make that decision. And can you kind of back it up and let me know what your thoughts are? And here's how I would do it if I were in your, in, in your shoes. So he was just the most remarkable guy. Um, uh, you know, um, he just, he's, he's, you know, he was, he was, <laughs> you know, he was, he was, when, when he worked at the Boston Braves, he, helped start the Jimmy Fund with uh, Bill Coster and, and, uh, and, uh, and of course, Dr. Farber and a bunch of other folks that really stepped up, um, uh, Joe Cronin and, and Louis Perini, who owned the team. And but while he worked there, he said to Lou Perini, hey, by the way, you know, the best view of, uh, of a baseball game is actually on the roof <laughs> of Braves Field, which is now Nickerson Field at, at BU. The Patriots started there. And he said, if we put seats up there and then put a nice concession stand and everything else, you know, maybe we can sell them for more money. Well, that invented the roof box, which eventually became the luxury box, right? right. Which, which is a major part of every sports economic structure. So he was a real visionary guy and a great, just a, just a great guy. Just a great guy. What in the world possessed him to go after a football team? What, the, what, what was the motivational behind uh, the AFL, uh, the Patriots, and your dad. Uh, it was the it, it was the Colts, uh, New York Giants game uh, that went into overtime. Johnny Unitas, Raymond Berry played in that game. Sam Huff, all those guys. He watched that game, and he. I remember him saying to me, "This is the future of sports." Because it was so exciting and compelling game, right? It was really one of the legendary games of all time, and uh, and he had worked he had worked at Notre Dame. He had worked at Notre Dame during their glory years for Coach Frank Leahy. He also worked at Boston College for Coach Leahy uh, when BC won its only national championship in 1941. And hmm. um, so he had a love for football. He worked he worked in baseball, but he had a deep love for football, and when he he had uh, a uh, uh, he had he didn't have a verbal agreement, but he had 
at least a, a conversation with Burt Bell, who was the commissioner of the NFL at the time, to get a team in Boston. Uh, and then, unfortunately, Burt Bell passed. <laughs> and um, and when, when, when the American Football League started, Frank Leahy was working for the San Diego Chargers, or the LA Chargers at the time, back again. And... Uh, and, and Coach Leahy called my dad and said, hey, if you want a franchise, do it. And you got 10 guys together. They chipped in 25 grand apiece, and they had a franchise. Crazy. I mean, really, how crazy was that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, um, when the WHA merged with the NHL, they only, they only took four teams. And when the uh, ABA merged with the NBA, but when – you got when the AFL merged with the NFL, all the original eight teams were still intact and became not only the part of the part of the fabric, they many of them became the fabric of the National Football League after the merger. Yeah, but don't don't forget too that um, they, they the merger occurred in 1966. The right. leagues actually didn't start playing each other except for preseason games until 1970. But right. in 1970. The Steelers, the Browns, and somebody else moved to the American Conference. Right. right? So it was it was Colts. It was it was in the Colts. That's right, the Colts. And it was, um, uh, you know, it was it, it was it was a sign that there was true parity and and respect for the two leagues. And and believe me, that was tough. There were old liners at. In the NFL, like George Hallis and people like that, that wanted to crush the the AFL, and uh, but you know, cooler heads prevailed when when Al Davis started signing signing all their quarterbacks, you know. So, um, and and, and uh, that was that was part of the part of the great history of the of that merger, you know. You guys had such such a colorful, and I use that term. In a very entertaining way, as we look back, you had a lot of ups and downs and ins and outs and crises and calm times. And it was an amazing, amazing history the Patriots have had, uh, especially the Patriots under your dad and, and all the things that had to happen to, to get the franchise to where it is today. I know Robert Kraft has done an amazing job uh, in cultivating the, the team as it is now and, and staying with the <clears throat> league. But there had there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that went into that operation before Robert Kraft came along. Yeah, and a lot of blood was spilled, literally and figuratively. <laughs> you know, and and it was it was. Um, you know, it was a great way. It was a great way to grow up. It was it was a real bootstrap operation. You know, um, in the early days, we had a team of ball boys, and I was the little guy. So my job was to uh, these bigger guys would go in to the stands before they'd have nets and try and retrieve the ball. And when the ball dropped on the ground, I was my job was to run and pick it up and run away with it. Right. So. So it was, you know, it was because in that era, you know, you'd have games, oftentimes you'd have games 48, 45, something like that, right? So a lot of balls were getting kicked in the stands and they were, you know, at the time, I think the ball was like 30. Well, I wish I had some video of that. <laughs> oh. You know, so the, the, you know, that it, it just, I mean, the, it, and the players, you know, the players like Gino and Babe and, 
and uh, Jim Hunt and and uh, uh, Jim Nance and guys like that. They're such great guys, you know. And they, you know, they all they all had other jobs, right? <laughs> you know, it was and 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 I was thinking about when when Bob texted me about this, I was like, well, you know what? It, it used to be that we would actually go to training camp on July fourth. And wow. you'd spend six weeks, double sessions up at Andover Academy. And uh, Steve Sirota was the head coach up there. Mike, you probably remember him. Yeah, sure do. And, and, um, and he, he, uh, he would watch practices at Mike Hollaback and you do twice, two, two sessions a day. And it was, you know, 95 degrees. Crazy. Out. That was crazy. And, and, it, and it was because guys had to actually play themselves into shape because they, you know, they didn't have off season programs and, you know, we didn't have the facilities that they have for weight training and stuff like that. You know, it was just a different world, right? You but it was a guy named uh, Jerry DeLuca. Oh, sure. Yeah. He was, my, he was, he was our milkman. <laughs> okay, there you go. That's amazing. With, with, you know, six six bottles of milk, you know, and he, he'd take the empty ones out. And, you know, and my brother and I were like, wait, wait, wait the window for him to come. So, wow, Jerry DeLuca's going to come and pick up our milk and give us our milk. And he was... That, that's how it was. And Jerry, Jerry, a snowplow. All the Patriots had jobs like that. Yeah, and uh, you know Jerry was uh, a great offensive guard for us. And you know, what, and he, you know, the, there were just some really great people, and it was, it was a lot of fun. It was really a lot of fun. And you know, Mike Holovac was a great guy, really super guy. And and uh, you know, as we as we kind of went through uh the whole experience <clears throat> the number of really uh uh terrific people that 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 i was fortunate enough to come in contact with is pretty uh, pretty great you know you, uh, you guys knew gino capoletti very well and he was a very special guy you know and and, and his off-season job was was uh, working at channel four right and because uh, he was really good looking guy he was a great dresser everybody called him the duke Right. <laughs> so, a lot better dresser than Bob Lobel, by the way, I would say. <laughs> All right. I can take it. <clears throat> Most everybody was, as a matter of fact. Speaking of great, great dressers and, uh, and great guys, let's give a plug to our one of our sponsors, George Gray and George Gray's Lexington Toyota. You know, if you're thinking about a new vehicle, go with me and Lobby go. Go see our friend George Gray at George Gray's yeah. Lexington Toyota. Been a longtime Patriots fan, Boston sports fan. Wobie and I have been customers for years because we know that George Gray will treat you right. They, like the Sullivans and the Patriots, they're a family-owned and operated dealership that we trust and you can trust as well. Go see the great George Gray at Lexington Toyota 409 Mass Ave in Lexington, Mass. All right. Listen, Patrick, you and your family have had many uh Many ups and downs. But I have to say, what what would be your favorite favorite moment as GM, family owner of the New England Patriots? Uh, and then I guess I'd have to go and ask you the least favorite moment at the same time. But you have to have uh, extremes on both sides. And uh, the, the, the Patriots at the time were a team of extremes, as we've just pointed out. What was you, how would you answer that? Well, I, I I'd have to say my favorite moment was uh, uh, the AFC, beating Miami in the AFC Championship, the squish the fish game, right? 
And that was, uh, you know, that was after many years of losing games at the Orange Bowl. Many years, you know, like 14 straight games, right? It was just, it was, um, it was a great, great victory. And it was, you know, strategically uh, one of the, one of the really brilliant coaching jobs of all time by Raymond Berry, because, you know, he, he was, he was so adverse to mistakes um, and, and he was, he was very specific about um, making sure guys did their job uh, correctly and, 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 and almost perfectly. Right. And he, we threw the ball 11 times in that game, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and Robert Weathers and Mosey and Craig James uh, ran for, I don't know, it was 300 plus yards, something like that. And um and it was just a really great, great victory for the whole team, you know, and it was, you know, we, we were, we, uh, we had, we had beaten um, the Jets on the road and we beat the, the Raiders on the road. And now we beat those guys on the road. And it was the first time a team went to the Super Bowl coming out of the wild card and winning three, three road games to do it. So it was quite an achievement. And, and that was quite a run. Lynch and I both remember it very well. That was, a, yeah. that was an amazing run actually. Yeah. I can remember Jim Bowman landing on a fumble in the, I don't know, in Oakland or whatever. It was just, but then again, that Oakland game had you and Hugh Millen or Matt Millen, rather. Yeah. I'd say that was probably my least favorite memory, (laughs) you know, because um, uh, you and, um, oh God, who was your camera guy? Really great guy. Tom Raycamp. Yeah. Tommy Raycamp. Right. Yeah. So uh, you two guys uh, somehow or another got in the locker room early or something. And and uh, you got me uh, in, in, a, in a pretty hot moment. And I kind of I kind of came across as a real jackass. And oh, you know, I apologize for that. <laughs> and, you know, the next day, a friend of mine's uh, uh, watching it in New York. And that that whole thing came up and Warner Wolf goes. And that guy's team won, <laughs> right? So, so, um, and and meanwhile, my wife says that she has a friend in Honolulu, and that picture of me getting slugged by by Matt um, was in the on the front page of the Honolulu Advertiser, right? <laughs> wow! But the reason that actually is probably my least favorite moment is that was a jackass move on my part and it took away from a great victory. It took attention away from the performance of a great group of guys, particularly our offensive line there again, you know, um, we dominated the, 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 the ball on the, on the ground and uh, or do- dominated the game rather. <clears throat> and that, and those guys did a great job and my uh, shenanigans actually took away from that. You know, I would say yes and no, because I think that that was a standalone moment, Patrick. I think you're giving yourself too much blame here. And uh, and while the moment made you famous in a way that you didn't want to become famous, it was a standalone moment. And I don't think it took away one iota from the the team's victory. And uh, I can understand why you'd say that. And I understand why you'd feel that way. But trust me on this. Even though we might have been the ones to sneak in the locker room and got your video and be and were responsible for it, uh, I I think that was a standalone thing and had nothing, no downside on the, the team's accomplishment. 
so the aftermath of that was was uh, there there a couple of couple of fun things that actually occurred when we got home. There was a box sitting on uh, on uh, uh, on our doorstep. <clears throat> we my my wife Lynn and I lived in uh, Newton, and I opened up the box. And I actually before I opened up the box, it it said, "Next time you play the Raiders, wear this Newton PD." Right. <laughs> I open it up. It's a it's a riot helmet from the Newton Police. Right? <laughs> so, so the, the then the other one was um, when we started in our in our current business. Um, we were doing a game for Fox in Foxborough, and they asked me if I'd go on the field and and uh, talk to Matt Millen, who was doing color for for Fox at that time. Oh wow! And so I hadn't seen Matt, you know, and. Uh, I walked on the field and I shouted out, hey, Sluggo. (laughs) (laughs) And he came over and we shook hands and everything. You know, we had a lot of laughs. I was wired. And this thing is uh, now getting taped uh, for the uh, Fox pregame show. And Millen says to me, you know, what's amazing. He said, you walked into that mess and I walked into it and I had my helmet off. And I gave you a good whacking that you deserved, right? And then he said, but that Howie Long, he never took his helmet off when he got in the fight. He said, look how pretty he is compared to us, you know? And that aired, <laughs> that aired on the pregame show. And and Michael Strahan looked over at him and he said, yeah, you know, that's true. I never saw you took your helmet off in a fight. <laughs> Very funny. It's a Charleston guy, he's smart. Right, exactly. And all the street fights. But, you know, it's, I mean, we, like, for example, we did the Super Bowl this year. We did the pregame show and I saw Howie and, you know, we have a great relationship now. And we still look back on it and have some laughs. And, you know, it was. Uh, uh, you know, Bart Lobel was right when he said, you know, I think what that that scene did is that the Raiders, the percent, there's a lot of perception about the Raiders. But one thing they were, they were bullies. And when someone stands up to a bully. <laughs> Without any equipment on, and half the size, half the, half the size of some of these guys, I think you endeared yourself to to all of New England in perpetuity, because you know, I mean, that's that's we stood up to the Oakland Raiders. Nobody did that, or nobody survived that did that, right? It might have been all of it might have been all of New England, with one notable exception, exception, and that's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lynn, Lynn wielded the stick in that family. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, still hey, does. Uh, game Creek. You mentioned that you, you did the game at Foxborough, and I know what you're referring to. And this, what was your uh, instinct in getting involved in that business? And how would what would you credit your success? I know we've talked about football. We'll get back to football in a second, but you really have been extremely successful in, in the Game Creek. Um, satellite truck business uh well i i you know what what actually uh happened was the last several years i was at the patriots i noticed that these third party uh entities would come in to do the games you know it used to be a truck would pull up and say nbc sports or abc sports or cbs sports and uh the, the there started to be these third parties coming up and i started to ask some of the guys that were working on it you know questions about it and they said you know, the networks uh, have been, all the networks were uh, were 
you know, they basically had a triopoly, right? You guys were in the business. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. And then when Cap Cities bought ABC and GE bought NBC and the Tish family bought CBS, well, all of a sudden people started really counting money, right? <laughs> and and they're looking at this and they're saying, wait, we're, we're spending three and a half, four million dollars at that time building a facility that's used 25 to 40 days a year. And um, that doesn't make any sense. So they all got out of the business when we got into it. And uh, then, of course, Fox Sports started and they never even had a mobile division. Um, Turner started. They never had one. And so, well, actually, Turner did. They had a couple of trucks. But, but um, you know, over time, um, the, the network's getting out of that business. And then just the insane proliferation of, of content. Um, particularly women's sports, right? Um, uh, just really, really helped propel us to, um, to where we are today, which is, which is um, you know, we're really very proud of the progress of the company and, and uh, our three sons uh, actually really run it on a day-to-day -day basis for us. And, and, and it's, uh, and it's a lot of fun, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, there's, there's not many, not many major events uh, that are going on in the United States that we're not involved in. Somehow. I was going to ask you about, you know, it's not just football anymore. It's across the board. Uh, yeah, I mean, we do. Uh, we basically have four segments of, of work. We have entertainment. So we do things like uh, uh, the uh, Peyton Manning's uh, quiz show, whatever that's called. Um, we do Jimmy uh, or Jimmy Fallon's. Uh, that's my my, uh, uh, that's my jive. Uh, then we do, uh, American ninjas, thing, things like that. Some concerts, Taylor Swift. Um, and then we, uh, we do a lot of political work for CNN and for the news, ABC news and so on. And then we have our sports stuff, which is basically the big nationals, ESPN, Fox, CBS, NBC, <clears throat> and Turner. And then, and then our regional business is very important to us. So that's Nesson, uh, Masson, which is the Orioles and the Nationals, the Yes Network, which has the Yankees, SNY, which has the Mets, and basically we do we do all the all the uh, regional sports on the East Coast. It's um, better than the National Football League. Have, you know, having <laughs> satellite trucks is better than the NFL. Yeah, they're actually not satellite; they're actually production trucks. We're well, production. I know. right. Yeah. We're, we're, um, we, I know. We. Um, uh, and we do, you know, we do uh, all the Bay Area stuff, believe it or not. So we do all the uh, Giants and A's and, and, um, and uh, you know, the Sharks and the, and the Warriors. And it's a, we have a great, great group of, a great group of customers and, and a great group of people that, that I'm fortunate enough to work with. If people uh, are just tuning in, I'm talking with Patrick Sullivan, former uh, general manager of the Patriots, but owner of Game Creek uh, Video or Productions, Game Creek Video, is that what it's called? It's Game, it's Game Creek Video. Yeah. And um, it's basically um, a mobile television studio on wheels, basically, right? That's probably yes. the best way to put it. Yep. And sometimes you you just you drop your your, your trailer or your uh, someplace like the garden, and you may leave it there for a whole year, right? Uh, rarely do that. I mean, we do, you know, at the because... Because uh, that particular asset uh, is, um, it, it does both Celtics and Bruins in the winter, and then it does Red Sox in the summer. 
and uh, it's called nine four by the way which is we we name our trucks we call that nine four ted williams bobby orr right and uh, how, how many trucks pat we have 76 trucks holy mackerel <laughs> and uh and we uh uh we don't let them sit if we, if they don't make money when they're sitting so we try and utilize them as much as we can okay. and, and uh so they they don't really you know it, it depends on the customer you know so like in philadelphia we do the sixers and the and the flyers and then that that truck moves over to do uh the uh, the phillies so it it kind of depends on the on the on the customer and the, and that's the region. remarkable it's remarkable that that's the way it's grown that was a genius i don't want to say that because you're sitting there but <laughs> to recognize the, the the niche in society or the niche in the business world and that industry uh and to connect the two your previous job and and your new job that's pretty pretty damn clever i'd have to say and i really take some credit for that uh, chucky your brother and michael George, uh, michael jackson how I wish it was Michael Jordan. <laughs> how, how brutal was that on the, on the operation in the family? Well, you know, um, um, that that was a, that was a tough business decision, right? That was that was a tough business decision, and uh, you know, my brother went into it with great intentions, um, as he did with everything he ever did. His his, his primary intention was to to uh, help our family. And he thought, well, this, this, this was going to be something really, really successful. And Michael Jackson at the time was basically on par with where Taylor Swift is today. Right. And, and, um, and it, you know, it was, it was sort of like, well, this is a can't lose proposition, but it, it ended up being a, an awful proposition. And, you know, my dad, um, being the guy he is, um, you know, was confronted with either uh, having Chuck go into personal bankruptcy or uh, selling the team. And he chose to sell the team. He, uh, I'll never forget this. As long as I live, we sat in a law, a law firm, <laughs> one of the many law firms that should put a statue up of my dad, you know, and, and he, um, uh, uh, there was a bankruptcy attorney there. And he said, you know, you can go into, you can go into bankruptcy just like the Hunts did. And he looked across the table and said, we're not the Hunts, we're the Sullivans, and I'm not going to put my son into bankruptcy. Sold the team, you know, that was that. It was an easy decision for him to protect his son. So it was a bad business decision, uh, but at the end of the day, um, my entire family has survived quite well. And I'm not talking about my my own situation, but my brothers and sisters, and um, I'm on I'm on Cape Cod. And right behind me is another house that my dad and mother bought in 1970. And there are 64 people staying there this weekend that are all part of our family. So um, uh, we, uh, uh, you know, do we, do we own a $6 billion asset? No, we don't, but we have a, we have a better asset than the money. We have a lot of family love. That's a, that's a really great way of putting it. Michael, sorry. You know what? Uh, and, and, to compound the, uh, the the Michael Jackson situation, in the fall of '87, the NFL players went on strike, and you had substitute players or scap. So the income, in, uh, the revenue stream, the timing could have been worse. I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? Oh yeah, no, because <laughs> you know 
what happened, you know, when you had all that labor unrest, uh, the, the television money stayed flat for like eight years, yeah. you know, and the price, the price for the players was going up, but the television revenue stayed flat. And then, you know, when they, it, it, it you know, I, I can't over, uh, I can't overestimate or over express how destructive the strike was, not just financially, but also to the team, right? Because you had guys that crossed the picket line, other guys that didn't, and it just, it was, it was really, that, that probably, I would probably, now that I'm thinking about it, that probably be right up there with the most unpleasant time uh, in, in, uh, in my, my, my tenure at the Patriots. Hard to imagine trying to run a pro football team and all, everything else that goes into putting that operation together on a day-to-day basis and having to deal with all this other stuff at the same time. Can't imagine what that must have been like. I mean, well, it was crazy. You know, it was crazy because you know you'd this you'd have it, it, like it, it, Brian Holloway. Remember Brian? The, uh, of course, of course. So Brian Brian drove a Rolls Royce, and Brian was the player rep. So okay. Brian. Brian came in and, um, and, and all of these uh, union uh, folks, you know, plumbers, electricians, uh, teachers, they arrived in buses to, to go walk the picket line and they had to spread the picket line so Brian could drive his rolls into a parking lot, right? It was like, it was so crazy. The whole thing was just, you know, it was, it was nuts, you know? And um, uh, it, it's a shame because it was, it was about, it was about five wasted years, you know, that, that, um, uh, that uh, I, I, I wish it never happened, right? <clears throat> Let me ask this, Patrick. Uh, how did Raymond, Raymond, who was the first person to step into a room and said, Raymond Berry is the answer. Raymond Berry's the guy we want to go after. When he was, if I'm not mistaken, selling hats at the time? He was. He was working for his brother-in-law, who who uh, owned a sporting goods company, and he was selling hats. But he was still living in Medfield, um, and I honestly, Mike, I you know, I I just thought at that particular point in time, um, what we really needed was uh, just an intense level of credibility with the players, um, and. I, I don't. I don't want to be critical of, of Coach Meyer because he's passed away. But, but at the time, we needed somebody to come in that just had amazing credibility. And Raymond had amazing credibility with players, even though he had been out of the game for eighteen or twenty months or so. You know, and um, I just felt he um, he would bring a level of credibility and stability uh, that we desperately needed at that time. I thought he was great. I mean, in terms of working with a coach, I know they've had some interesting personalities there since, including the present one and 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 the past one, Parcells. But the uh, Raymond Berry was a hell of a guy, and uh, he just. But I also remember the day you fired him, and I wanted to know what what was on behind that. That that might that could be up there in the worst days too. You know that was that caused was, me. I had a, I, caused me wrecked my car. As a matter of fact, that day I got to do a fight. Chasing you around Foxborough, and Jack Edwards was pursuing me, and I'm trying to get away from Jack Edwards. 
so I could get this story with Pat Sullivan and I ran my car into a fence in Foxborough. You know, and, and Jack is still a pest. <laughs> he is. <laughs> right? I, got into, I got into a fist fight that day on the payphone. When you, when you were, I, I think you were, you were laughing about it. He looked over to the right and over by the coat room was a payphone. And some guy from who wrote for the New Haven, something or other, says, hey, I need the phone. And, I, well, I need the phone, too. I'm calling Channel 5 because we didn't have cell phones. And I'm telling them, we got a scoop here. You know, Ravenberry's been hired and uh, Ron Meyer's gone and blah, 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 blah. And so this guy got behind me and started blowing, blowing smoke at me. <laughs> I says, hey, knock it off. You know, so I'm going back to the to the midday news. Home. Finally, I just dropped the phone, and I just laid, laid, laid into him. We went tumbling into the coat room, and everybody's laughing like hell. The phone's hanging there. The producer's yelling, Mike, Mike, where are you? And, all, and Brian Leary was down. He called me Sluggo. And, uh, but that, that was, yeah, that, that, uh, fortunately, that, that didn't get too many headlines out there. You know, the hey, Leary, today you'd get sued up the yin yang for doing Yeah, I would. I would. But yeah, my Irish came out that You had day. trouble running your football team. How do you think we had trouble covering it for <laughs> Uh, well, so, okay. so how, how do you sell Raymond Berry to the players? I mean, you know, they, they go, what? The guy has been called. You know, like, how do you sell him to the players? Well, most of the players, you know, if you'll recall, you know, we m m most of that team had actually been assembled in the late 70s, right? Yeah. And so they had been around. They knew Raymond. They, you know, Raymond was an assistant with us and, uh, and, and he, you know, he had been around and so most of the most of certainly the veteran guys knew him very well, and um, and they 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 embraced it you know right away. I mean he he came in and you know he he he's you know he's just a really straightforward guy you know and and um, um, and and you know obviously had all the credentials. He's a Hall of Fame player and and uh, he made his reputation based on being very precise in everything that he did. And, and uh, he demanded that of our players as well. Wow. And then yeah, this would have been the tail end of 84 season. And then 85 was, uh, oh, remind me. It's not me, Mike. No, it's not me. Um, so it was, uh, it was in his second year that, that, that you, you made to the Super Bowl, right? It was yes. The tail end of 84, he replaced Ron Meyer? Yep, it was uh, um, uh, 84, we finished out of the hunt, and then 85, we, we ended up uh, in the Super Bowl after the 85 season. And Raymond, you know, Raymond, Raymond uh, did, he, he assembled a great staff, um, and um, he, you know, Ray, Raymond uh, uh, is an ex extremely religious guy. Um, yeah. But he never uh, wore that on his shoulder. He never um, uh, imp impinged that on any players. But what he did do is when he looked a player in the eye, the player knew he was not BSing him, right? And, um, and that, was, that, that was very, very important in that particular era, you know. You know, uh, I, I think I've told you the story before, Patrick, but um, uh, when, when Meyer was still coaching, I went down to interview him one night during the week and we were in his office and Warren Doolin was the cameraman. He had a camera set up, ready to go. And you knocked on the door and you said, Mike, would you give us a, a minute? And I said, sure. I stepped outside. Well, Warren Doolin forgot to shut his camera off and he, 
camera was aimed towards the floor, so we couldn't see any heads, but the conversation was recorded. And I believe you came in to talk to him about <laughs> trading Bob Kreider to the Seattle. Is that possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, it's now I get on my shoulder, and these are the days where getting a scoop on Lobel or John Dennis was a big deal and a big feather in your hat. And I tell you, I wrestled with that, you know, all night long. And <laughs> the Catholic guilt uh, finally got to me about quarter of 11 and, and did not use it. But I had the whole scenario about Kreider who was going to be, you know, traded to Seattle, et cetera, et cetera. And I never went with it. And I'm glad I never went with it because it would have been, been racking me uh, ever since. <laughs> well, I'm 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 glad your uh, your Catholic guilt overcame your Harvard sensibilities. <laughs> you did the right thing, Michael. You did the right thing. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't think we traded Kreider to uh, Seattle. I I don't remember. What, I, I can't what, remember. I I, yeah. I want to say that was part of the conversation, but I, I, he was a whole lot at one time, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, not Bob Kreider. He wasn't. Um, from Alabama, right? It was a guard from Alabama. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah that was him. Um, what else we got? Madden Millen. Um, well, I, I, I gotta I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you guys one story, and, and I think pretty indicative of, of the guy. Um, I I think that when you talk about guards from Alabama, I think that John Hanna was among the top five players at any position in the history of the game, right? Yes. And and John was just so uh, demanding of himself. And and um, and again, you know, he really took to Raymond Berry because John was very precise in everything that he did. And Bill Parcells once said to me that Hannah was the only offensive lineman that they had to uh, account for two defensive guys to deal with him because oh. he'd always knock two guys on their butts. Right. Not just one. And, <clears throat> but John, uh, one time, um, our assistant equipment guy, Donnie Brocher, Lord Reston, who passed away, uh, calls me and says, you got to come down here. Hannah's having a fit. And I went down and John uh, was really enraged, right? And I said, what is wrong with you? And he said, I can't believe the Pro Bowl results came out. And I said, well, you're in it for like the 18th straight time. What's the problem? And he goes, Brian Holloway's in the Pro Bowl. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> what is the problem with that? He said, he doesn't work hard enough to be in the Pro Bowl. Wow. <laughs> and he and I looked at him and I said, you know something, John? I said, if I were in Brian Holloway's position, if I were if I were the tackle next to you, I'd be in the I'd be in the in the in the Pro Bowl. Anybody that's next to you is going to be in the Pro Bowl. So why don't you just relax and enjoy that? <laughs> <laughs> so, but he was really, really aggravated about poor Brian Holloway. You know, what a great story that is. Yeah, yeah. You know, to uh, Johnny McKenzie's daughter, right? He was at the time. Brian Holloway uh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Irving Fryer. How do you deal with a guy like him? Uh, Irving. Uh, he, Nobody ever came to me and said, Irving Fryer is a jackass, right? No, nobody ever said that. Now, sometimes he did things that were immature, right? Yeah. He was a very bright guy, really bright guy. Um, he was a Renaissance man in many respects. He played like 10 instruments. He played the drums. He played the piano. He played the trumpet. 
he, he was, and he was very good at it. Right. And, um, but he, he, he's a really bright guy that sometimes lacked common sense. Right. And so he found himself in a, in a bunch of pickles, you know, um, and then he ends up in the ultimate pickle of, you know, this, this over influence from, from his mother that got him in trouble and got him and put him in jail, you know? Um, but he, he was a real, he was a real pleasant guy to work with, you know? And he was an absolute phenomenal athlete. I mean, just off the charts athlete, right? The, the only guy that I ever, that I ever came uh, close to, to comparing him with in terms of athletic skills. Well, Hannah was obviously a great athlete, but it was Doug Flutie. I mean, Doug Flutie was a phenomenal athlete, right? And, uh, but Irving was just so fluid and, and smooth and, and, and um, you know, I, I, I wish he didn't uh, have this lack of common sense that just got him in these, these episodes Otherwise, he'd have been in the hall. He would absolutely have been in the hall of fame. No question about it. <clears throat> I got to do our last spot here, and I'm really happy to do it, Patrick. And we have a big question to ask you after I do this that uh, we do every week. It's directed toward campers, and it's about Cold Springs RV. Uh, now's the time to see a fantastic selection of motorhomes at Cold Springs RV. They're not production trucks. They're not satellite trucks. They're motor homes. So go out to the deals and see and enjoy the pleasure and pressure-free environment that Cold Springs RV offers. They have a large display of pop-ups for summer camping fun. Fourth of July, just around the corner, is it ever? Happy 5th. So get ready with a great deal today. I'll learn more online. Go online, coldspringsrv.com. Make it a summer to remember with a camper from Cold Springs RV. That's Cold Springs RV in Ware, W-E-A-R-E, New Hampshire, which is just west of Manchester and north of Haverhill. And Mike has a question for Pat. But can you believe the Lobel and I would ever ask to read spots for Channel 5 and Channel 4? <laughs> by, the time, by the time both of us stumbled through them, the, the, the news would be over. So here's what we do. Um, Cold Springs RV, you know that John Madden had, had the Madden Cruiser. Sure. So they're they're going to build a Lobby Cruiser for us. It's still in production, but it's really going to be something. And all our guests get a chance to take the Lobby Cruiser cross-country by themselves. So, Pat, when it's finally uh, built, you'll get to drive cross-country by yourself. But you have to take one figure, and it can't be a family member, one sports figure, uh, alive or deceased, to ride cross country with you, somebody you want to talk to, or somebody you always were curious about, or somebody you think you'd have fun with. So who would that be? That'd probably be Tom Brady. Really? That'd probably be Tom Brady. Yeah, that would be. <clears throat> I never met. I never met Tom Brady, but I did meet his dad and play golf with him se several times. Um, he and his, he and I, he, uh, Tom Brady Senior and I won. Uh, our flight and a member guest at the Boston uh, Golf Club, um, so that was a big thrill. Okay. And um, and if if Tom Brady Jr. is anything like the old man, uh, that that would that would be that'd be a trip worth taking. You know, he introduced himself, the uh, senior, first year Brady's playing. They're up in the WBZ box at, in Foxborough, 
And he comes over and says, hi, I'm Tom Brady's father. He just introduced himself to me like it was, I just want to say I'm, the, I'm Tom's father and I just want to say hi. And it was pretty cool. You know, it's pretty unusual. You can always tell he, had some, he was very grounded and had that, that common sense approach. He was also very successful in his own right. He has a, a, a estate planning insurance business that, that does very, very well. So, uh, well, well, I always, I, I kidded with him. I said, so what's, what's it like at Christmas with you guys? You got, you got you making a lot of money, Tom Jr., Giselle, and then Euclid is in the group now, right? <laughs> right? What's Christmas right. like for you people? <laughs> Speaking about Tom Brady, you brought up a great segue here. Do you think about and analyze today's situation with Robert and Belichick and Bel and uh, Brady and Mac Jones and Jonathan Kraft, who now is now the Pat Sullivan of of the Kraft family? I mean, Jonathan's there to take over. You were could you could have been the owner of this team. Uh, have you ever thought about you could have been having been the possible owner of this team? Uh, I, not after we sold it, you know, that was a pretty, that was a pretty defining moment. And, you know, we started down our own path and then. I know that, but did you ever think about it? No, not really. Okay. That's fair. Don't forget. I was, I was the youngest of six. So so no, you would have, you would have, you were spare, spare plus five. (laughs) The the caboose that my dad's accountant called me the caboose. So, good for you. All right, so go back to the question of do you think about today and, and the way the operation is being run and you can get involved in the controversy and have opinions on these things, and would you dare offer, offer us any opinions? Uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it would, it's very hard for me to sit back and look at what's going on in Foxborough and, and, uh, and comment in, in a negative fashion in any way. The stadium's amazing. They built it by themselves. There's no personal seat license. They're upgrading it right now. They're spending millions upgrading that place right now. It's going to be amazing for the fans next year. They've got six Super Bowl titles, right? Is it six? They've, they've got, you know, un, unprecedented record in, in, in playing in conference championship games. Everything that they've done, they've done right. And, um, you know, there was obviously some moment in time when uh, Tom Jr. decided that he no longer wanted to be a Patriot, and that was that. So they moved on. You know, um, if people don't realize it, the Patriots are here because of the Sullivan family. Billy uh, put, uh, putting the group together to buy the uh, buy into the AFL in 1960. Um, there was a time. In 1970, I think the NFL had a rule you had to have a 50,000 seat stadium, and you built that place in less than a year, right? 300, like- 327 days, and it was um, it was uh, uh, it was two hundred thousand dollars over budget. It was six point two million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely incredible. And, Jonathan, know, Jonathan said we spent more on the plumbing in our place than you did on the whole thing. You know? Well, after you open, you have to spend you have to spend some money in plumbing yourself. That's that's correct. That's correct. We had the we had the the famous that you, when you talk about some of the uh, nooks and crannies of our right, life, right, right. one of them was super flush, right? 
So, I was at the first the first game, uh, August 15th, 1971. Rocky Thompson ran back a kickoff for a touchdown for the Giants. And we were sitting, I was with Herbie Gold, Johnny Gold. They had the tickets. They invited me and my dad. And the rest of the row was empty. They showed up about third quarter. And that was uh, one of the biggest. And it, all the great things that everybody's done down there, the one thing they've not alleviated, the traffic is still pretty much the same as it was August 15th, 1971. But the point I'm trying to make is anybody that's listening, there are no New England Patriots. They're, they're someplace else. There's somebody else. They don't exist because of, of the Sullivan family. And uh, as a guy who grew up here and Bob and I worked here a long time, uh, we want to thank you and, and thank your entire family. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. But I, I, I will say that when, when and this was another strategic move on the part of my father and my brother, um, uh, when my brother bought the stadium, um, uh, uh, my dad uh, and he executed a, a basically an unbreakable lease. And when uh, Victor Kayam bought the team, he wanted to move the team to Jacksonville. And he he was he was ready to go, but the 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 state and and if you'll recall, he bought the team but didn't buy the stadium. Right. And Robert Kraft and Steve Karp ended up buying the stadium because Robert Kraft was brilliant enough to understand that the stadium actually controlled the team, right? Wow. Because the lease was so uh, onerous for them to break it uh, that uh, it, it, you, you couldn't move the team without the stadium. And not, and not owning the stadium was, uh, you know, I, told, I said to Victor, I said, you're going to really regret not owning the stadium. He could pay... $22 million for the stadium, something like that, you know, and, and, um, uh, and he chose not to. And that was, that was really, when you talk about my father's commitment to the area and keeping the team here, one of the key things that he did that nobody ever knew about was executing that lease with his son to make sure that effectively the team could never move. Right. Wow. Wow. Fabulous. Fascinating. Patrick, you're, I know you have to run. I really appreciate it. I know Michael does too, how much you come around today. This has been fabulous and uh, fascinating. As long as Aiden, Aiden was the star, and I don't care what you say. <laughs> Aiden but, the lobsters. <laughs> Aiden and the lobster guy. But, but uh, hey, it's great catching up with you guys. You look great, and uh, um, I, I uh, look forward to seeing it. Uh, some point in the future. Both I hope so. Congrats. Good luck. Continued success and your best, our uh, best to Lynn. Okay. Take bye care. Bye. See you. Thanks. 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 All of them. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, thank you very much. Unacred Boston is a presentation of Unacred Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unacredboston.com. Thank you.